This podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Underground. It's our new membership designed for you to help you attract more clients and hit 10K a month consistently. For more information or to sign up, go to thecopywriterunderground.com. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 131 as we chat with Direct Response Art Director Lori Holler about working with copywriters, the relationship that design and copy share and why they need each other, why she chose direct response as her niche, and how knowing design basics will make you a better copywriter. Welcome, Lori. Hey, Lori. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's great. It's so great. good. Yeah, great to have you here, Yeah, especially to have a designer in the house. So let's kick this off with your story. How did you end up as a designer? Yeah, so I knew at an early age that, you know, I was in love with visualness, design, fonts. And so I went to a training program for a couple years in high school where you had to be picked. It was like some type of tie-in with the college, community college. And then I went to many years of a variety of trainings in college at different colleges and sites in order to gain access to typography, communications, marketing, design, all that jazz. Then I went right from there into top agencies in Washington, D.C. I tried to follow some of the lead art directors of that time and train under their wings for several years. The whole time, you know, I wanted my own agency at some point. And finally, about 20, 21 years ago, I decided to leave, you know, being a full-time employee and jumping in and starting my own agency. I had already, I don't know, we might have talked about this, Kira, but I'd already done nighttime work and weekend work on the side all the whole while that I was employed, you know, ramping up for hopefully one day, you know, building my client list and being able to go full time, you know, just having my own agency. So luckily it worked out. <laughs> yeah. And it has worked out. So, you know, when you were just starting to do that side, the side projects, where did those projects come from? Were it, was it relationships that you had and the agencies that you were working with, or did it come some other way? And then how did you develop that into a standalone business? Yeah. So both, you know, people in the agencies, maybe they'd have a little freelance side job. I'd pick that up. I'd meet people and they would need something done. And, you know, the nice thing was I got the training under the wings of all those high-end art directors, learning, watching. They were so kind, you know, to help me learn all those years and then be able to bring those skills, you know, into my own agency. So Lori, when did you realize that you wanted to specialize in direct response? Yeah, this was a big awakening for me. So at first, as you know, like in just regular agency work, you were designing for design's sake, you know, doing gorgeous designs, type fonts and stuff like that. But then I guess once they started feeding me campaigns that would get a result and they would come in and say, you know, the thing that you designed won or 
you know, we got 5,000 more attendees this year than last year, Lori, you know, stuff like that. I loved hearing that. Mm -hmm. And that's when the bug bit, you know, bit me hard, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of designers sort of gravitate to the make everything beautiful and the branding type work and shy away from the direct response stuff because it has this reputation for being ugly or kitschy or you know whatever and and maybe that maybe that's true although I get a sense that direct response doesn't always have to be ugly you know there's all kinds of things that you can do so talk to us a little bit about the differences between typical branding, beautiful design, and what maybe gets defined as direct response? Yeah. So on the typical design, you're designing more so for design's sake. You know, you're making it beautiful. You're still making it speak to a particular audience, I feel. But I think since that's kind of the way my brain works, you know, in the direct response is I love that deep down dive of research getting to know who you're speaking to, knowing who your prospect is, and then designing just for them. So making that copy and the design speak directly to who you're speaking to in that audience. And that was a lot more difficult. It took a lot more work. Behavioral science comes in, strategies, processes, of course, the fonts, the look, the color, the photos and visuals. So I think I like that bigger challenge and then the end result, if that all makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when you kind of figured out that you wanted to be an expert in the direct response space, how did you make a name for yourself and build a reputation early on? Let's see. I think it probably started happening a lot at KCI Communications. They were financial-based publications. And so we would do the direct mail campaigns, and then you would get the results back. They started pairing me with people like Jim Rutz, Gary Bensavenga, Doug Deanna, Dick Sanders. And then a couple times it happened where the controls were such huge wins and they would tell me, you know, in a meeting or whatever, and just realizing that I had the opportunity to really help that company grow, you know, gain access to more subscribers or whatever our goal was. So once I saw that, like one time Dick Sanders and I did a campaign, it was eight and a half by 11 Magalog for Roger Conrad's utility forecaster. And it ended up being the biggest winner in the 18-year history of that particular publication. And that really excited me, seeing that I had the possibility and growth potential to help the company that I was working with. So that really made a mark. And then after that, people started hearing about that. I started getting into health and beauty and you know, bringing all those winners with me. And I guess that's kind of how it, it happened. What does that interaction look like? You know, when you're working with a copywriter, at what point do you come into a project? And, you know, I imagine that there's some, you know, back and forth where you're making suggestions to the copywriter and ways they can, you know, improve the flow of things. But what would a typical project look like if one of us was working mm -hmm. with you directly? Typically, the client will either contact me or the writer. Sometimes they ask me, you know, what writer would I like? Sometimes they hire the writer and then ask the writer, you know, who would they like to design it? But first things first, I get my hands on the copy. And I do what I call the Lori Haller three-step copy read. And that is reading the copy 
in three specific ways, and I'll do it really quickly here with you. That is reading the copy just to read it so that I can get an idea of what the main story is, the idea, the concept. I also understand the offer and how they're trying to sell the product. And within this copy read, I read it out loud so I can hear it. As you know, copywriters will work on things for two or three months. They've seen it for so long, they can't see a crazy sentence if it was the last thing in their life to do. So me reading it out loud, me reading it very many times over and over again, so I step into the shoes of the audience, I can find red flags where maybe a sentence or a section or the offer just isn't making sense. When I get in the shoes of the reader, I can see the words that are just too difficult, the words that'll throw me off, the words that'll stop me so I don't want to read any longer. So in that first read, I'm circling things. You know, I make a printout. I don't just read it on my computer monitor. I will report back to the copywriter, hey, I found these areas that aren't making sense to me. It looks like the offer's kind of weak. And we go back and forth. It's a trust thing, as you can imagine. But they trust me and I trust them. So then the second time, I jump into the shoes of the audience and I read it with their eyes, their heart, their mind, and how does it make them feel. So again, I will circle areas that feel cold, areas that are great, you know, they feel hot, they're very connected. And I will talk to the writer about that. And then lastly, on the third step phase, I read it with the eyes of a marketer. And I look at the marketing sense, does the story and the offer align with the price, all kinds of things like that. Like does the title of the three free reports, do those titles make sense and tie in with what's going on? So I guess what I'm saying is, I'm just another little vehicle or helpful tool for the copywriter, the client, the marketing team to become the reader. It's almost like they've written it and I'm reading it as the reader. And this will help us stop any situations and problems before I start designing it. Yeah, Lori, can you talk more about the cold and hot areas? What do you want the copywriters to do with that? When you go back to the copywriter, what are you saying to them about those areas of copy? That's a good question. I will say things like, I'll circle a paragraph and say, this just isn't making sense to me at all. I'm not understanding how you're explaining this particular, let's pretend it's a financial publication that we're trying to sell. I'm not understanding exactly what you're trying to tell the reader here, or it's not making sense, or it's too high of a level. Let's see. Let's talk about this. Because the biggest red flag is, if I can't understand it, I can't properly design it to try to feed it properly to that reader. So I feel like it's a really helpful benefit and tool to the writer. And I've never had a writer come back and say something like, oh, you know, please don't tell me these helpful things that's going to make my copy resonate. Because what we have to do is, and especially these days, as you know, we only have a few seconds to make them read that headline that eyebrow, that subhead, the part of the story at the beginning, if I can't win their trust through the copy and the design working hand in hand, 
then they're not going to read the rest of it. And if they don't read the rest of it, they're not going to be able to click yes or send in their money or whatever. So that's our common goal in the end. So it's really that copywriter and designer getting so tightly intertwined that you just work back and forth. And on the same note, they're looking at my design when I present it and saying stuff like, you know, I think this needs a burst here. We really need to remind them that this is your free report. Hey, maybe we can make this bigger. This is too big. It's drawing too much attention to this. So it's that trust. And the the more you have that relationship, that commitment, that trust together, that's where you have the biggest possibilities of a win. Yeah. I wonder what else copywriters can do to have a better working relationship and a better end result with that designer on a project. What else can we do? I think that they need to allow themselves to look and see as many things as they can that are out there in the industry, you know, online, print, in magazines. What are the fonts that are being used a lot? Obviously, the copywriter doesn't have to become a designer. But as you know, these days, visualness is just so huge. It has changed in the last 10, even five years, greater and greater. As you know, people are wanting a video. They want something fancy. They want to be entertained. So just a copywriter being on the cusp of what's working for all other industries and just get an idea. You don't want your things to look old and stodgy and dated and like old data. You want it to look fresh and new and like, hey, you got to read this now. You got to understand either this beauty product or this new hip pain ointment or whatever it is that you're selling. I think just really making sure you go watch movies, you see what's out there. What are people talking about on Instagram, Facebook, just really being on the top of our humans out there totally. So Lori, one of the things that I have done, because I oftentimes will work with designers who don't have a lot of direct response experience, one of the things they'll do is build a wireframe to you know help guide them, you know, with the way that I want to see the copy flow or, you know, the way that I sort of picture things coming together. And I, I've never intended that necessarily to be a final document, but I, I found that kind of helpful. I'm guessing that at your level, you probably don't see a lot of wireframes because the copywriters would trust you to put together the page, you know, the, the way that it really flows and the back and forth that you do. But, you know, for those of us that are providing wireframes or other instructions to designers who maybe don't have that experience, what kinds of things can we add that would make that really helpful for a designer that now needs to assemble a page that's actually going to you know, turn the words into something that works? Well, actually, what you're doing is exactly what we need. And if any designer tells you that they don't want to see any of your ideas or none of this is helpful, you should run immediately because <laughs> like Clayton Makepeace will write into his copy just these amazing notes, you know, so will Carlene, David Deutsch, Paris Limpropolis, Gary Bensvenga. The more you can write things like, Lori, this is the eyebrow. I want it small, but I need to see that they can understand that this is a timely date at the top by January 17th. You need to take charge of this or whatever. So they will write notes like that. They will write notes like, these testimonials really need to stand out. I put all 30 of them here, but sprinkle them around. Hey, 
the bottle should not come until page 10. We don't want them to see the product yet. Make this bonus larger. Make, you know, here's a photo. Here's two charts. See if you can, you know, like that. It's that back and forth. That's where the juiciness happens, definitely. So I love what you're doing, Rob. Like, I'll work with you any second. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I like it. I think it's all our dream to work with Lori at some point. If we could work with you, we've we've won the game. So I would love to hear from you about other mistakes you see quite often that copywriters make in their copy that you end up correcting and you just kind of, maybe you can just set us all straight right now by sharing some of these mistakes. I kind of mentioned the titles of the reports aligning with like the concept. That's big. Making sure your math is right with the client for the cost. Like if I'm doing a health (laughs) supplement, we use a lot of proven processes, strategies, and procedures here. In that respect, we have quality control checklist sheets made up so that we can be on the, you know, point with everything we do. So one of the things in the checklist out of many is, you know, checking the math. Although I'm not a mathematician and I didn't come up with the prices, we will just kind of make sure that when they say 50% off or whatever, we will just double check that things are adding up. And if something doesn't seem right, we will just bring it to the attention of the writer and obviously the client. Well, recently, I'll just tell you, my team who's been trained in this manner, they brought up on three Slim Jims that we were doing for a health client some serious math errors and just said, you know, we don't know what the processes are here, but we do want to bring it to your attention. And lo and behold, all the math was wrong. I mean, can you imagine if they would have printed 50,000 or 100,000? But so I guess just be on point with all of your data, make sure the charts, if you're talking in the copy about a chart, and this stock can bring you 20% increase or whatever, just making sure that that information is on point, making sure you provide charts. One of the biggest mistakes is just saying, I need a chart here that says this or that. Well, having like a chart idea or graph or legal documentation in compliance, you know, that's like really critical as well. But just staying on point with making sure the words make sense to the reader and aren't on too high of a level, that's critical as well. Is that is that helpful? Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's really helpful. So Lori, you mentioned, you know, copywriters like David and Clayton, Carlene, you know, people that we sort of all know by their first names because they have a place on the A list. Right. Is there something as an outsider, as you work with them, are there things that they have in common that really set them apart from everybody who's not on the A-list? Yeah, let's see. They know their stuff as far as research. And the research that you do and the study and the deep digging and finding things out, that's really where it seems to shine. They know what they're talking about. They know everything there is to know about either the supplement or the stock trade or the beauty ointment or whatever the ingredients are. And so they come to the table with that. They've also reread and read the copy again and again and again. 
and their story is strong. So I, I think that's kind of what sets them apart, a unique idea. They've looked back at what's won and also what's not won in the past. And also just their excitement, being a part of a team and going back and forth and that trust factor, that really does ring true with all of these people that you hear their name all the time. Easy to work with. Also, easy to work with, on time, good rapport with the client, good back and forth professionalism. All of these things really give them those gold stars, I think. Okay. So I would love to hear more about how you've landed some really big name clients on your website. I know you mentioned Forbes, Hyatt Hotels, K Jewelers, National Geographic, some really big names. Can you just talk a little bit about what you did to gain those big clients? Well, for Hyatt Hotels, K Jewelers, and like Black Star and Frost, they were at the agencies I worked at. So I'm suspecting. I got to work with them, and then I had my samples and my experience, and then I got to put that on my website or my portfolio or, you know, show that to people. Then once folks were seeing that level, then that was probably driving more people on that level to come visit me instead of just, you know, the the cleaners down the street or the, you know, like that. So Forbes reached out to me, maybe through a copywriter. Once you start doing good, solid work, you're reliable and you're dependable, then even those little jobs, that person goes to another job, then they get a bigger job, then they take you somewhere else. So you always have to make sure that you're very professional, you do things on time, you have a good report, you build a relationship. It's like any relationship. And I think that's how like National Geographic was, I believe somebody that worked at KCI as a marketing product director, they got a job at National Geographic. They got in a pickle. They said, do you know any designers? This woman reached out to me and then I nailed that account. And then once I wrote that account name, like on my website, then other people see that, you know, does that make sense? It just grows from there. Yeah. It seems like you just, the biggest challenge is just getting that first big name client on your roster and then, and doing a great job. And then it becomes easier to get the other ones. Yeah. But don't forget what I said. Like I still take pretty much as many jobs as I can that comes my way because don't forget those five people that meet you at that medium size or smaller size place, yeah. they're going to want bigger jobs. Yeah. So then they're going to get a bigger job somewhere. They're going to remember you and how you touched their lives and made their life easy. And you were kind, you were on time. And I think that matters. You know, you got to remember the big picture. So don't burn any bridges. Don't ever be late. Just conduct yourself with high-level expert, you know, loriness at all times. That's what I say. <laughs> we should tattoo that on our, on our arms. Yeah, yeah. you've you, you got to get your loriness out, you know what I mean? 
So, Laurie, I want to go back. You know, what I was asking about wireframes and the, the kinds of things that you know copywriters can do to help designers. If a copywriter doesn't know much about design but wants to maybe explore, you know, at least basic design foundational skills or at least knowledge, are there resources that copywriters can go to that would really help them, you know, learn the basics? Or is it something that's kind of self-taught and you just have to have your hands in it all the time? Well, there's a variety of books. I mean, I'm reading constantly. There's three or four books by Edward Tufte, T-U-F-T-E. And actually, I got myself a ticket last year to one of his on-site one-day events in New York, and I got to you know be there and learn from him. But it's Edward Tufte, and it's like Principles of Designs. I can share with you guys a list of like 10 or 15 things people can look at as far as books. There's color books, books on the feeling behind colors by this one woman. I'm sure I'm going to mince her name, but it's like Latrice Teesman or something like that. There's a variety of books that I read constantly that I'll give you a list for. And if you can look at those books, read those books and understand them, that's helpful. But also looking at everything that comes in your mail and making yourself your own swipe file and seeing, like even just play this little game with yourself. Like, did this get my attention on my stack of mail? Like if you're talking about mail and print, why did it get my attention? Was it the color? Wow. Was the headline easy to read? Or why do I hate this and not want to open it? Is it because there's 20 words in a headline and all of them were in all caps? Was it a lot of reversed out type? Was the print hard to read? So just, you can play around with that and just ask yourself, does this resonate to me? Does it not? Why? Why not? How could it have been better? So just constantly doing that, maybe spending 15, 20 minutes every day fooling around with something like that, that would really give you an edge and knowledge so that when you see something, and maybe it's your first project, you can actually ask yourself like, Did I want to read the headline? After I read the headline, where did I go next? Was it easy for me to turn the page and go to page 24 and see the reply form? Or did I get stuck? Or was I so bored I didn't even want to pick up the phone? Or if it was an online campaign, did they engage me enough and why and how? And so just those little things constantly. Once you start doing it, you'll drive yourself and everyone around you crazy because uh, <laughs> no one here wants to watch a commercial or look at anything with me or a movie because the whole time I'm like, oh my God, look at that font, you know? <laughs> so is, is that helpful? Yeah, it's, it's definitely helpful. And I, I think, you know, I would also suggest that maybe one place that people could go to start learning that is you've got a portfolio page on your own website. It's got some fantastic examples of, you know, landing pages and I think, you know, Magalogs and the different kinds of things that at least in the direct response world you know, are pretty typical mm-hmm. and can see what you've done that has worked for them. So that mm-hmm. may just be a starting place. Yeah. And I will say that I don't on purpose have a lot on my site. Some people will sometimes ask me like, why don't you have all the 8 millions of things that you do? And obviously, you know, the first reason is that is because everybody could just go there and steal all my ideas. It's so easy. But the other thing is, you know, legally, I sign a lot of NDA and legal contracts, so I can't show a lot of what I do. And I won't, you know, obviously. But I think it's also 
you know, just good professionalism, not to just put everything you do out there. That's the property of the client. That's confidential and it's near and dear to them. They paid a lot of money and time for it. So I do take that into consideration, but take a look at as much as you can and let me know how I can help too, you guys, if there's a time when you just want me to splash maybe a winner up and we just cut it apart. Or maybe I show you my first two drafts and we say like, look at how ugly it is here. And then look how it transpired. Sometimes just watching how something starts with just copy and then seeing, you know, it doesn't get to look like that magically in one day. It's an evolution back and forth, you know, so that might be a fun little thing to do at some point. Yeah. So this kind of feeds off the last question. I wonder how you stay creative and high energy. And anytime I see you or talk to you, you're just so, you have just such a great vibe. So what do you do in your day to day or at a high level to make sure that you are creative and engaged? Well, first of all, I love what I do. You know, this is my passion. As I tell my sons as they're growing older and they're looking for what they want to do with their life, that whether it's copy or design or whatever it is, that you really must pick something that like when I wake up in the morning, I can't wait to wake up and get down to my studio and get going. I don't feel like I've ever worked a day in my life because this is all exactly what I want to do. So there's that. Although it might be hard, obviously, it's very difficult to do this and stay on, you know, constantly and try to get these winners all the time. There's so much pressure in that. But if you love what you do, then it feels so enjoyable, you know, just to know that that's what your day is full of. But I am very careful. There will be days of endless hours, and then you must take a break and get proper rest you know, eat right, exercise, you know, meditate. I love yoga, running. You know, we've talked about that, Kira, but whatever works for you to fulfill yourself back up again, full year, you know, fill your cup back up again, you can't let yourself get worn out because, you know, people demand that I am awake and alert and on point and thinking at a high level constantly. So you must know yourself and know what your limits are. And I think that's probably one of my biggest strategies and strengths is being able to say, you know, no, we can't do that for three more weeks. We'd love to work with you and we don't want to pass it up. So I don't overextend myself and I strive, take great care of making sure that I'm always uh, awake, not flustered, you know, well-rested. There's a couple copywriters that I enjoy working with. Yeah, I guess I can say this, but I'll just be honest. I probably wouldn't work with them anymore. Every time I approach them, it's some crazy story. I'm so busy. Oh my gosh, I haven't had time. And then you email them and they're like, I'm at a doctor's appointment. I don't know. And so to me, I'm like, you're not giving me my best, what I need. You are letting your whole life like drive that. There's no way that that person can be thinking and working on the level I demand for my clients. And it's not fair. So I try to position myself. So although they see my email come over at 1am, because we have a tight timeline, not 
because of my doing, but that they also see that I'm like, you know what, we're going to need a little more time or this can't be accomplished properly, you know, and like that. So you have to be very honest. You have to be very careful with how you show yourself. And just like you said about me, every time you see me, you feel like I'm full of energy and zest and I'm excited. I would suggest that, you know, you don't have to be as high energy as me, but you don't want to be like Captain Bring Down and so tired all the time. I, I hope that makes sense. I mean, have you noticed that in people? Like who wants to work with that? Like no one wants to have that person on their team. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I love the title Captain Bring Down <laughs> because we all know Captain Bring Down and, and or have worked with him in the past. So yeah. I run from that. So again, love these couple of people, but can't do it. Not going to do it. So Lori, how do you organize your day then so that you are at the top of your game, you know, when you have to show up for an assignment? Well, rest is big, eating right, you know, supplements, being careful of your time and being able to say no, I suppose, trying to get to the gym or running or just taking time for myself. Karen and I were just talking, you know, during the holidays, I know my clients take some time off. So I took a couple weeks and just did absolutely nothing but relaxing, regrouping, getting myself in the right zone. And I think it shows, and I can tell when I'm overtired, those ideas don't just come bing, 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 you know, and when I'm at the top of my game and I've properly cared for myself mentally, physically, definitely it just flows. And I think finding your own flow and what's best for you is mandatory and probably the best thing that you can do for your professional existence. Yeah, it's good to just have a reminder and hear from you, someone who's had so much success that even though self-care can be kind of cliche in the business world because everyone's talking about it, but it actually does make a difference and it does pay off in the long run. Definitely. And I never want to be known as that person that just does everything and, you know, is always everywhere. And, you know, I just want to be known as here's this stable place that we can come and get qualified winning ideas in a professional manner every single time. Can you talk about your business today and what it looks like? We haven't really talked about that, but what you've grown over, I think you said 22 years. What does that actually look like today as far as a structure and team size? So when I was working at these agencies, one of the things I promised myself is that I would never have the 10 people sitting there waiting for a job, you know, and the people that maybe once they got the project put on their desk with the timeline were like, oh, you know, I don't want to do this or whatever. So I decided I don't want anybody sitting here with me that I have to keep busy. I don't want to fix a coffee maker for them. This is just my own choice. So it's just me here at my studio. And then over the last 20 some odd years, I've grown, trained and hold a stable of a variety of level of talents. And that's either designers, production people that do edits, photographers, models, agencies, you know, whatever it is that you need, copywriters, video people, editors that I can call upon and bring them in. Because as you know, every job isn't the Oprah job. You know, sometimes you have the medium, sometimes you have the small. So I bring the best of the best of the best 
for the project, the skill and talent level, the budget, and the timeline. And then we look at that whole big picture, like the optimum of what they could afford and the talent and skill level. And then that's how I roll the team together. So on the outside, I also have a business partner, Tom Berge, and we've been together successfully for a little over eight years. So he has a whole stable of full-time people that I've worked with over the last eight years, training them with all the quality control checklists, the proven processes, the strategy, how I do design and all that. Because obviously I can't do all this on my own or I would kill myself. But (laughs) so he is also just a guru of design expert, great online. He has a whole stable of full-time online folks that we've trained together. So having this huge movable, bendable team to fit the needs of each project, schedule and budget, that's where the sweet spot has been for me. So I took a little different twist in the road and kind of came up with my own recipe, but it seems to be working well. This is what works for me. Yeah, well, a lot of copywriters are growing their team and bringing on subcontractors to their projects. And I've done that as well. And sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. What advice would you give to copywriters that are growing a team of subcontractors as far as what's worked for you, what hasn't worked for you? Those quality control checklists that I talk about, and I can share mine with you if I haven't already, those help. Like people that are working with you must follow these exact procedures. Like before you send me, for example, the first draft, and I've already done a sketch and explained what I needed, you must, you know, read the copy three times, do some research we've discussed, do a spell check. I'm just giving you a little example and then send it to me. But you can't just do it and send it to me without having done all those things. So see, like seeing what your processes would be and your quality like control checklist or whatever, setting things up so they're standardized and everybody follows them again and again and again, then that is really mandatory, I think. Laurie, where do you see the opportunities in copywriting and I guess also design in the future? Hmm. Well, I think you're going to see a lot of direct mail. We're seeing tons of direct mail right now. So if you could understand direct mail packages, writing them like Magalog, Slim Jims, number 10, six by nines, a newsletter, issue log looks, brochures, all kinds of things. As you know, you know, online is particularly hot, but people have become bored with that and only that. They're going back to more old-fashioned ways of wanting a copy of the newsletter in their hand, wanting their report, wanting that real book. Yep, they're going to download it immediately once they sign up. But they want those juicy things again, and they're realizing getting back to basics is good. So being able to write for direct mail is good. Obviously, online, doing both. We do a lot of that where we test a funnel or a campaign like sales page online, then we also roll it into a direct mail campaign and we do it the opposite way. We write for direct mail, then we flow it online. I'm doing that 
starting tomorrow for a client. And are you seeing this across the board, this move from online to also incorporating offline again? Is, is that across the board or is it mostly concentrated in you know a few industries? Yeah, I'm seeing it everywhere. And you heard it here first. You better get ready. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> Copywriter club exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. That is something that you can really ramp up for. You know, you have to know how to do it. Like what has to be on that front cover? What has to be in those sidebars? What goes on page five? What doesn't? Where does the bio go? Where do the, you know, what, what, you know, there's 8,000 things you need to know, but definitely I would say, start looking at things and be ready for that. Lori, can you talk about your training programs, which I know we've chatted about in the past, especially because I'm personally interested and I've talked to a couple other copywriters who want to create training programs for teams and go into organizations. So how did you get into that? And what does that look like in your business? I think it's probably just been through clients that I've worked with and how I am to work with They noticed, I guess, my knowledge level. And so therefore, say they have five designers in-house. And, you know, nobody's giving this training in college or anywhere else. All the things that, you know, I'm so lucky to know from these 20-some years of experience. So they noticed that. And then I guess one team asked me to come in or go online, you know, or go on the phone or whatever and start working with their designers, their designers and copywriters, their marketing teams, and just going through a process, going through a project together. And they learn as we work together. And then I guess other people started hearing about it. So, you know, I go into large companies and I'll work with their whole company I'll work with the writers, the marketers, the designers, the coders. You know, I go internationally and train people. I train people on Zoom or Skype. I go on calls. So you could do something like that where you start offering training or you could just add to your fee and they could choose to bring on other people to all the calls and stuff and listen while you explain things, because people want to learn these days. Like I said, you know, a lot of the people I train are right out of college and they did learn to kind of design and kind of do coding or maybe a little copywriting or a little bit of marketing, but nobody is training them because not many people know this stuff. Like, why that sidebar has to be chopped into two pages, why you can't put this on a right-hand page of a spread, why the offer form now has to be on page 27 instead of you know 21 or something. They want to learn this stuff. And it seems like people are sponges these days and you watch them grow. You know, people that I've worked with for six months, you know, I actually had tears in my eyes this summer. The people from Singapore that I've been working with it was that Helen Keller moment. I will never forget. I had to take a break off the call for a second to pull myself together. But all of them on the call were saying, Lori, this headline's too hard to read. Lori, this isn't the right color. Look, I can't see that. I would put this photo there instead. And they were catching on. They were catching on in such a big way. So I know now that when they go back and design for their team that hired me, They do know how to make these right decisions. And it's really a beautiful thing 
to give something back to somebody else and watch them grow, then help obviously further grow their company. Before we wrap, can you just talk to us about what's coming up for you over the next few months, especially if there's anything relevant for copywriters or anything they can jump into? I know you are speaking at our event in March, and we're really excited about that. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't wait. I already have my outfit picked out. (laughs) Wow, you're good. I still need to do that. So what, what else are you working on over the next few months? Yeah, I'm going to Expo West for the first time in California. I'm meeting Ijan Ijan, one of my clients from Singapore, and we're going to be checking out all of the millions of health products that are there on display and exhibitors, looking at the logos, looking at how they formulate their ingredients, look at the wording, the brochures, the colors, the design, how they're packaged. Are they in metal? Are they twist off? So I'm going to go crazy for like a week out there. Actually, right before I come to speak at your event in Williamsburg, Brooklyn area. And so things like that, you know, try to get yourself in. I'm only buying like a one day ticket. I'm going to go hard and, you know, look at all this stuff. So anything like that, that you can go to, I also pay to be a part of a lot of masterminds where several people, as you know, come to these masterminds. I think I've seen you at a couple, Kira. I learn from them. I meet new copywriters. I meet new designers. We share ideas. I think that sharing, being as a part as many of groups, different types of groups that you can is really helpful. And being open, you know, even though I've done this for a million years, you will never see me say, oh, I already know everything. And every second of every day, you know, I'm like sucking things up. Can I learn this? Can I read this book tomorrow? Can I download that article? So I think masterminds are helpful. Obviously, don't get involved in too many things. So you wear yourself out, you can't actually work, but learning and growing and always being open to others and their expert views and ideas. That's really critical to me. Such great advice. Lori, we can't wait to see you in March, but until then, if somebody wants to connect with you, where would they go? Yeah, you can go to www.loriehaller.com. And right there on my little website, there's a contact page and you can shoot me an email. You could also email me at Lori, L-O-R-I, at Lori Haller, H-A-L-L-E-R.com. And I'll get back to you. And I'd love to hear from people, anything I can do for the two of you also to give you samples or I'll release these quality control checklists and a couple other goodies you can post on your site. But anything that I can do to help you, that's probably the other thing about me and like you guys. And that is, I just feel so grateful for all the people that have always reached in and helped me. They gave me a chance when I was the new girl on the block. And I am always wanting to do as much as I can to give any little nugget or book or tip to somebody that could help them reach their dreams because I just feel so excited to be able to get up every day and do what I love doing. That's super generous of you. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a blast and I cannot wait to see you guys in March. Awesome. Thanks.
You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode. Thank you.